Good morning. It's November 20th, and the Aggies won yesterday. <laughs> Haven't been able to say that since September. So, hey, you know, I feel the pain, but the good thing is, is that whether the Aggies win or lose does not determine our salvation. <laughs> Praise God for that. Listen, I, and just so you know, I am a diehard. When I was in college, whether it was, um, if it was like yesterday, you know, the rainy, cold game, I was there, man. Hey, I had the poncho on, and uh, I may have taken my shirt off a few times in the fourth quarter, you know, just to prove something. Uh, but now I don't have to prove much. Um, but back then, I felt like I had to prove a lot. And uh, I cheered them on, winner, winner, lose, okay? I was not a two percenter. I was there to the, to the, to the bitter end. And so um, we'll pray for the Aggies and for our team because, hey, honestly, when they do well, our town tends to do a little better. Uh, so it's actually better for our economy and lots of other things. So whatever you believe about Aggie football, if they do well, it actually helps everybody else who lives here, okay? So, all right, we're not talking about Aggie football, though. <laughs> um, all right, well, hey, we're wrapping up our series today on whole and on us being whole and um, next Sunday, we're going to be starting a series in the Advent season, so we're really excited about that. Um, and so please join us. Our goal is to have this building mostly decorated, uh, if not all the way there, uh, for Christmas. So that should be a lot of fun. So come back next Sunday after Thanksgiving. We'd love to see you here. But today, we're going to wrap up our series. And um, uh, for me, it's been helpful when we've gone through these last five, six weeks to talk through some specific things about our identity and about forgiveness and, and the family and other pieces because our desire really with this fall was to, hey, God, what do you have for us? And what we sensed him highlighting was, you know what? I want you to help the people, including yourselves, get whole again. Like the desire is to get whole as a people. And really what we're focusing on is addressing this. Right? And, and you know, whenever you read the scriptures, you're always addressing this, but specifically wanted to tackle some themes that we thought we would all kind of be in agreement on. Hey, yeah, I could use some help there. Yeah, I could use some reminding. Yeah, I could use some conviction there. I struggle there. I actually don't know what to do with that because we want to be whole. Because God's desire is that the body of Christ would be together and would be unified. But you can't do that if everybody's kind of wallowing in their own broken mess and having self-pity to doubt, to discouragement, to pain. We've got to work that through. And so thankfully, the word of God is here to help us. And Jesus came to um, not just uh, save us, but to heal us, to deliver us um, so that we as a people can walk free and whole with him. Um, a key passage in this series has been Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We love that passage because in many ways, I believe it is describing what God is, is, is building us to be. If you guys were here at World Mandate, we referenced that John Lowe came and spoke Sunday morning. He's the senior pastor out at Antioch Church out in Pasadena, California. And he spoke on this passage um, uh, in Matthew 24. But going into the conference as well, he had this kind of prophetic word for us. And he said, listen, I think God is highlighting this for your church. And we had been sensing similar themes, but really what he's highlighting is that, man, God is planting us as trees again in this orchard so that we can be these oak trees that have deep roots that are together. It's not this picture of being planted solo in some farm field distant from each other. There is something about being in this orchard mentality 
which is we are planted together. And when you are planted together, you then need each other. And then as you grow and become strong and healthy, when the storms come and other things happen, we are standing strong as oaks of righteousness so that there's a place for safety, a place for shade, a place for covering, and a place for others to grab onto when everything that they're holding onto, if it's not God, is falling apart. Our desire is to be a church that actually, when things get tough, we are present. We don't run and hide in the caves. We don't curse our God because there's a storm. We say this is part of planet Earth. And so we are called to endure and to overcome and to persevere. And that is where the righteousness of God is on full display, right? We all know this, that the true character of a man or woman is not when things are going well, it's when things are going poorly. It's when you lose the game, how do you respond? Right? That's the true character. It's when, it's when death happens. How do you respond? It's when you're sick. It's how do you respond? It's when things don't go your way. It's not, the character is not when things are going well. That's just not the way it is. It, it comes out of you when you are pressed, right? When you are hard squeezed. <laughs> and so what we're saying is as a church, we want to get whole so that when we are pressed and squeezed, what you see is good stuff. What you experience is security, our identity is clear. What you experience is not lashing out and slander and gossip, but it's forgiveness. I've already dealt with that. It's kindness. It's not a bitter root, right? That's who we are becoming as a people. And so if you're visiting Antioch, hey, step on in. Whether you're just here this Sunday, take it back to your home church, but become somebody that is whole and maturing. And as we do that, why is that important? It's not only for the sake of others, but it's also because God has a plan and purpose for our lives that in many ways, we're the main person hindering that. He's not hindering it. We are. It's God. And sometimes he has to wait. It's kind of like with my kids. You want to drive a car? Well, you actually have to grow so you can reach the pedal. Because that's a problem. Even if I trust you, you just can't reach the thing. Okay? And then number two, I need to trust you're going to make good decisions. And so we're going to wait a few years until you're actually of age and ready to drive the vehicle. Because if not, you're going to crash it and I need a new car, or you're gonna hurt someone or kill somebody. So because I love you, we're going to wait, but I need, to, I need you to show me your maturity, your decision-making. Even if you're 16 years old does not mean I trust you to drive the car. Just because you're the age does not mean I deserve that. It's not the way it works, right? God is looking for mature people, and he's looking for a whole people. So that's the journey of what we've been on. Now, Ashley and I, we went to Rome, Italy um, a week and a half ago, which, you know, if you're going to go to a church conference, I mean, wow. You know, um, we really had to clear our schedules for that one. Um, it's kind of like so many years ago, they told me that their church planted a church in Hawaii. And I was like, oh, that's fitting. You know, how did, how did that come about, right? And then he told me he has to visit them, has to visit them once a year for a pastoral visit. And I'm like, man, I'm looking for that Hawaiian church planner. So just, you just let me know. Come talk to me after the service, and we will get you going. No, but we're in, but we're in Rome, and we're spending time with all of our, um, all the senior pastors, okay, from, from the U.S. with the Antioch churches. There's 40, 44 or so churches, and then overseas teams. They were there as well. We're spending time together, and um, here's what I'll say. I've We've planted this church 13 years ago, okay? So I've been to multiple conferences with Antioch around the world or here in the States. And here's what I would say was unique about this one. Um, there was a certain level of honor in the room that I had not experienced before. Not just honor amongst one another, like in the crowd, but from the front. Like, like public declaration of honoring people, which was unique, because if you know our people who lead teams, they're very like blue collar like, meaning we just kind of roll the sleeves up and just kind of get to work, right? You get the job done, you move on to the next job, but you're not really waiting around for like praise and accolades or someone to thank you. You're just kind of head down, right? And when you have a people like that, what can be lost is like, hey, pause, that was awesome. Or I'm so grateful for you. But not everyone's always like looking for that. Does it make any sense? But what we discovered was it was so needed because it was on God's heart to honor people. 
And so one of these evenings, we we're having our meeting. It's actually 5.30. You know, 5.30 at a conference, it's like, hey, we need to end. Everybody is kind of done. Dinner's waiting, okay? And, and Jimmy Seibert, who's leading this particular session, he calls up. He's standing up there. He's wrapping things up. And he looks at, at a lady in the crowd whose name is Chantel. And he said, Chantel, I just, man, I just got to pause. I got to share a few things about you. And he started sharing a few things about Chantel's journey and her different jobs she's had within Antioch and different roles from an assistant to janitor to different things all over the place. And now she's kind of heading up prayer uh, for a lot of deals. And he said, what you guys don't know is she has labored in the secret place. She's not on the spotlight. She's not on the bike, but she's been faithful for over a decade serving all of us in different ways. And God wants to highlight you today. Okay, so she comes up. I honestly cannot remember everything that happened, but essentially she came up and just started sharing some stuff about what's happening with prayer, with the Antioch movement. And then she just paused and got down on her knees and just began to pray. And as she prayed, now mind you, she's not like a team leader. She's not, a, she's, she's just like serving, like kind of helping. She begins to pray. And next thing you know, Jimmy tells someone to get over on the keys. They get on the piano. They start going. And this two and a half hours later, skipping dinner for half the room and everything else, people are being ministered to. God's presence showed up. And I don't know how else to describe it to you outside of kind of, if you just imagine an imaginary thick cloud, it just kind of comes, and, but not but just, and it's just, you're like, what is, I mean, there is weeping, there is joy, God is speaking, people are being prayed for, it's just, the, you're just, you're kind of like, whoa, like, what happened? And I looked back at that, and I was like, what sparked that? Jimmy honoring Chantel. God saw, we're going to honor someone that is deserving of it, but wasn't looking for it, and I'm going to move in power. It's a reminder, church, that when you get in line with God's ways, God shows up. When you're not in line with God's ways of doing things, he doesn't. Or if he does, it's not the good kind of showing up. You want the like, whoa, he's here. And it was so powerful, but honor is what sparked it. And, you know, when we talk about honoring people and dishonor, I don't, I don't have to go down this path, but everyone has felt dishonored the last few years, for sure. If it's not by like your immediate family, certainly it's a coworker or friend or someone in this church or somebody. I mean, if you've not felt disrespected or dishonored, then I don't know what you were doing the last few years, but you were hiding somewhere, you know, and turned all electronic communications off. I don't know what you're doing, but everyone's felt disrespected and dishonored. And man, God is highlighting for us that we have got to turn the corner, like like a hard right turn, and becoming a people that will honor each other with our words. With our words. Okay, like literally saying it out loud. Not just thinking it, but to say it because there is power in that. I'm gonna take you through a few passages. Just kind of hang with me here as I take a little bit of a journey, but we're gonna get somewhere. But I'll just tell you where we're going. Where we're going is at the core, we've got to become a people that really do honor the Lord. Like, we are serious about it. We're not kidding. We're not, this isn't like a little tip your hat. Like, that stuff drives me crazy. So let's not do that anymore. Either totally dishonor, rebel against God, or get real. But like, the, but like, the in-between stuff is not good. Like, that, that has to end. And I'm saying that not just for us, but I think for Christianity. It needs to be either in or out. Playing the game is not helping anyone, certainly not you, and it's discrediting the church. But being serious, being on fire, being called a weirdo because you love Jesus, you're going to raise your kids in a God-honoring way, amen. I don't mind being called a weirdo if it's for him, right? Like, I'm not just doing weird stuff to be seen. It's like, if God says it and I do it and you think I'm crazy, perfect. That's what I want, because those are usually called godly people in the Bible, they're usually the awkward, crazy people that are just like, wow, I'm really following Jesus. Oh, I'm not following the ways of the world, which are cool. Yes, that's what I want, right? So we can be weird if it's for Christ, okay? Don't take that out of context. Okay, <laughs> Matthew chapter 10, 40 through 41. 
This is Jesus, all right? Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now you see this word receiving a lot, okay? So this is in the Greek translated dekomahi, okay? Let me break this down. This is to receive in a welcoming manner. So when you think receiving, it's like receiving with like welcome arm, like open arms, right? In a, in a welcoming way. This use is specifically used here in Matthew 10. It's about welcoming God. It's, it's, it's the idea of, of welcoming his thoughts. It's like welcoming his salvation, okay? This word is used 59 times in the New Testament. And almost every single time, what couples with it, and again, our, our English language is not as complex, but let's go a little deeper here. What's coupled with this idea of receiving is, um, is, uh, is, is it, it's stressing a, a high level of self-involvement. So it'd be like if I was communicating to you words of honor, and let's say I was telling it to Emily and said, Emily, I want to honor you. And I'm sharing words with her, and she's on her phone doing this. But I'm talking to her. Okay? Now, someone looking at that, just looking at it, it's like, it doesn't look like she's listening to what he's saying. Now, I'm sending you a message, but it doesn't look like you're actively welcoming it or receiving it with the posture of your body, with the posture of your heart. Right? Which is why you can share something with two different people at the same time, and someone receives it, and the other one rejects it, or ignores it. Or as a parent, you can tell your sons to do something, and one of them doesn't, the other one doesn't. And you're like, did I, was I not clear? Uh, what? You know, it's like, it was super clear. I slowed it down. I need you to make your bed. What did you say? Oh my gosh, you know, make your bed. Like now, 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 now. Right? The other one's already, it's already, it's like already done. Right, right? And so, but this is us. This is like, oh, receiving is actually active. It requires you to receive. Right? So I'm gonna read that again. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me, him who sent me. Right? The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, welcoming him, receiving that prophetic word. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Do you see the theme here? If you receive what they have to give, you actually get some of that reward. Right? You are a partaker in that. Right? Another word we may use is impartation. If someone is able to impart to you leadership or impart to you some wisdom on finances and budgets and you actually receive it and you apply that, you're going to receive that same kind of fruit and reward in your own life because you've fully received it. Do you understand? So when you talk about, this is Jesus, by the way, receiving him, when you receive me, guess what? You get the father, it's a open arms, right? It, it, it is a heart posture, you are welcoming him. And that idea of a reward, when he says, receives a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. That word reward is appropriately to appropriately compensate a particular action or a decision. So the reward we see oftentimes, that word used in scriptures, it's, it is an appropriate um, uh, compensation, right? Or wages would be another way to say it. It's actually what you've earned. Like it's what you are given because of your decision or your action, which means to the extent that we were able to receive something, this is gonna go with honor because someone can honor you and you reject it. And I'll just be the first to say, I have struggled in my life with receiving honor and encouragement, right? I also don't dish it out much. And so usually, um, if you are like me, 
and you have a hard time receiving that, then uh, you tend to want to brush it off. Like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Right? Like parents will tell me in our baseball team, hey, coach, thanks so much for coaching our kids. Oh, it's no big deal. It's just, but I'm like, actually, it's like a huge deal. It's like a huge sacrifice. You guys yelled at me. You were screaming at me. Your kid, I was like, oh, gosh, I deal with these player contracts and this deal, the money. I had to ask you to keep paying for doing it. just didn't do it. Like, oh. But I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm like, actually, it was a lot of work and a lot of stress. You know, so what I should have said was like, hey, thank you for saying that. That means a lot. But because I'm still a work in progress, I'm like, oh, that's no big deal. But guess what? I didn't fully receive the honor they're trying to give me. I missed out on that reward. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to receive it in your heart. Now let's move on to Romans chapter one, because I want us to kind of see a theme here of what, of what God is doing in the realm of honor and um, and, and basically putting it this way, you have to be able to honor the Lord and honor one another, right? Those are the two things we're working with. So let's go here. Now, just give you a little bit of context, right? Paul wrote two Christians living in Rome who were primarily Gentiles, okay? And they met in house churches, right? So we have life groups. We meet. We have house churches, right? We meet in life groups. And you have to remember that their faith at the time, they were living in Rome. I was just there, right? They had the Colosseum. The whole deal is mainly a pagan culture. Right? So like they were the extreme minority in the Roman Empire, pagan culture, the extreme minority. That's who Paul is writing to, okay? And in their culture, when they walked outside their house, they walked by deities and idols and different temples to this and that God and this thing and that thing. And so they were, it, it wasn't like here where you kind of have to like look for to kind of see, well, what are the idols? And well, we idolize people. But it's like, it's like right there. Oh, there's the idol. Like Artemis. Oh, okay. There's, there, there's another one. You know, so they had this culture where every day people were giving money, giving time, right? Like they were giving themselves to these idols, right? So it's very apparent, right, in this culture. So that's who Paul is writing to. So let's pick it up in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. All right, let's pick up in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, honor and thanks. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping Things. Of note, I never got the creeping things thing. What are we talking about? I mean, those are disgusting. You know, I get like the lion thing. That's a jump. The giraffe is legit. But like a mouse, a cockroach. What are we talking about here? Just ridiculous. But you can see it doesn't really matter. Someone could actually worship a roach if their minds and their hearts have been foolishly darkened. Do you get it? Like you literally can, like you can look at somebody like you are crazy. Like what are you doing? Like, you're, you're what? And so this is how they lived in a culture where people are worshiping crazy stuff, right? Not that anyone worships crazy stuff today, right? No, 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 no. It, 2,000 years later, we're still worshiping crazy things. We're still worshiping the created. But you see, they knew, they knew enough of God to know that thanks and praise were due to him. But they offered Neither. Actually, I was looking this up, but you know, the Romans took a lot from the Greeks in terms of their worship culture and what they believe. You can look at the writings of Plato, Plutarch, Cicero, and what they will tell you is that the Greeks, the Romans, they were not completely ignorant of the fact that there was a God or a higher created being. That it's not, when you read that, they actually had spiritual conversations. So what they were ignorant of was the way of salvation but not ignorant of the fact that there is some creator God that they were meant to give thanks to, to give homage to, something to. 
Therefore, when you read this, it's less of ignorance and more corruption of the heart. Right? Ignorance is like, well, I didn't know. Okay, fair. But what if you actually did know, but then you chose to go a different route anyways? That's usually how we function today. We want to play the ignorance card, but actually we're not that ignorant. We're smarter than we let on. We've just chosen to give ourselves to something else. See, the foolish thinking and darkened hearts are a result of not honoring and not giving thanks. Did you see that? He said all this stuff in Romans 1, but it says, for although they knew God, right? So in some measure, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, right? So that's the kicker. They didn't honor him or give thanks to him. And therefore, their hearts were made dark. Another way to think about it is, um, you know, who or what are we giving our affections to? Who or what? Like, who or what are you giving your attention to? Who or what influences you the most? Right? Like, your affections, your time, your thoughts. Who or what is influencing you? And look, I want good influences. I want positive influences in my life, in my kid's life. But I do not want human beings to be the number one influence on my children. Okay? I want God, and then I want Ashley and me, and then everybody else. Because I believe that's the order. That's the way God created it. The parents are meant to be the number one influencers, not somebody on TikTok or Instagram or some superhero. Your children should want to be like you. But if you're not displaying a godly man or woman, they probably don't want to be like you. Then they're going to chase after some idiot out there. No, I mean, just sorry, but just to say it, we chase people that are not godly and not righteous because we want our kids to be cool or be liked. I'm like, who cares about that? He'll come and go as the wind blows. God will remain. And I want my kids to grow up saying, man, I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. Not because I'm perfect, but because I've displayed to them a righteous way of living and a man who's after God's heart, loving them, caring for them, holding the line, speaking truth and love, disciplining them correctly, championing them and supporting them where they need it, that they would see God as me as an image bearer of God in me. They would see that in their lives and they would say, hey, I want to be like Dan. Right? Not I want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan's fine, but I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like Dad. I want to be like mom. And let me tell you right now, those are the healthiest human beings on planet earth, period, fact, no discussion. Children that have healthy mom and dad to care for, to, to, to love, to represent, they're the healthiest. It doesn't mean if you grow up in a single family home where mom left or dad left or that situation, whatever, doesn't mean you can't get there. It just means that you're going to have to press in there. Then you have to find someone who is older, who's mature in the Lord, like a grandpa, someone in the church. That's why the church exists, by the way. It's a great place. If you come from a broken home, it's a great place to find men and women of God that will act like and be like and show you what it's like to be a mother or father in the Lord. That's why Paul said you have many guys, but not many fathers and mothers. So that's why we need fathers and mothers of the Lord. So if you've got that broken past, that's okay. God can mend that and heal that, but you've got to lean into the church and lean in and seek out godly men and women who, who could represent in a way a mother or father to you to help those places. And ultimately, God is gonna fill those voids where no human can touch. I don't know how I got off on that, but please seek out men and women of God. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to say, I, it's not going away. Um, fr okay, uh, Friday morning, I got the opportunity to speak at, um, to about 70 students in Brian ISD. They're 13 to 17 years old. They're all in the DAEC or DAEP, DAEP. Um, and I was invited to speak over there, and um, they knew I was a pastor, so I had to kind of, you know, toe that line a little bit of the secular Christian dilly, but they gave me some, some freedom there. And so they said, hey, we want you to come and talk about leadership. So these 70 kids are in there, not by choice, but because they've been caught vaping, um, fighting at school, um, some other charges. Every, most of them have been arrested and put in jail for a night or two. And then their whole deal was, hey, you got to go to here for at least 30 days, 60 days. 
Um, and if you apply and have good behavior, you can get out of here and go back to school. If you don't make it here, though, you're donezo. You'll never graduate high school, period. So this is kind of like, if you don't fix it here, your trail will follow you no matter if you move towns anywhere else, you're done. So um, that's kind of an intense environment. So I walked in, and they all came in, and I didn't really know what I was going to say, because I was trying to figure it out. I was like, okay, this is the crew I've got. And so all the staff, this is the whole school, staff, everyone's there. So I'm like, okay. And I just began sharing with them. And I, as I was sharing with them, just the Spirit of God brought to mind um, a verse in, in Proverbs, and where it just says, you know, life and death and the power of the tongue. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't know why you guys are here. Um, I assume that many of you, you've made choices. You already know what those choices are that, um, that, that have brought you here. And, <clears throat> but I can tell you this, that your words matter. And I asked him, I said, um, who in this room has ever felt cursed, yelled at, abused verbally? You know, of course, they're not raising hands. They're sitting there. And I, all of them have. And I said, you can either take that pain, you can just stuff that, and you just keep on, and you'll be that kind of person, the person you hate, you'll become that person one day. Or you can choose to speak life, because your words really matter. I said, I've had words spoken over me, they're like daggers in my side, and my back, and my heart, felt like I couldn't move because of what people said about me. And I'm pretty tough, and it got me. I said, I bet many of you in this room have had a mom or a dad or an uncle or a grandpa or someone who has cursed you. And I said, part of the reason you're here is probably because of that. But you've got to make your own choices. You have to choose life. And when you get out of here, you need to make a different choice. Because you guys know this is the end. This is in the road for you. And I don't know if you guys know the statistics, but I'll, I won't share percentages because I don't know the updated version. But let's just say this. The majority of people who don't graduate high school do end up in prison in five years. That's a lot of people. Because they can't get a job. Because... They can't find their feet. They end up joining a gang or they get caught in some trouble or something like that. And so education matters. But what matters more than education is mom and dad. Most of them wouldn't be there if mom and dad were engaged in their lives and loving, but most of them don't have that opportunity. I share that with you because, you know, even though they would um, be considered kind of the least of these and Brian ISD currently with their situation, God loves them, cares about them, and there's hope for them. But they have to make a choice. And I hope for us as a people that we are committed to becoming mentors for people that are broken. It should start here in the church. That if you're here, then it's on you to initiate. Right? It's not, it's not on someone older to go track you down. If you need something, man, go to someone and say, hey, how can we meet up? How can I learn from you? And they may say, hey, I don't have a lot of time, but we can go mow the grass together. Great, come mow the grass. I have a lot of time, come do laundry, great, come do the laundry. Well, I'm taking my child on a walk in the park, you wanna to come to me to the park, come to the park. If you're willing to lean in, God will meet you in that place. Romans 12, verse one through 13. Okay, I'm gonna read this passage, we're gonna wrap it up here. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So right, everyone asks that question, what's the will of God for my life? Hey, right there, it's gonna help you out. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I just told my kids at breakfast yesterday, I said, hey, top five verses in my life is that. Is that. It is. It's the verse that keeps you humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Man, I want that grace. I need it. I'd like to cash that in. He's saying, you want to cash that in? Stay low. That's how you receive the grace of God. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, which means we're going to honor the body. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, 
The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. That's what I do a lot. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'll read that again. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Wow, there's a list. You're looking for a news resolution, just try to do Romans 12. And we'll see you next December. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, wow. It's, you can just take one of those. Say, hey, here's our monthly goal. You know, it's like, woo! Right? I mean, be patient in tribulation. Wow, which month are we going to pick for that one? You know? But here's the deal. I wanted to highlight for you that verse 10. Put that verse 10 back up there if you would. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I have a brother. His name is Robert. He is two and a half years young, or older than me. We fought a lot growing up. You know, the kind of fighting, like wrestling, little brother. I take swings. He's quicker than me, dodges. I kick. He blocks me. He puts me in a hold. I end up screaming. You know, I get bigger. I sit on him because I don't have any moves. I just sit on him. <laughs> right? This is my brother. We shared a room most of our life. We played a lot of sports together. My dad somehow finagled it to me, for me to be on most of his sports teams, which means I wasn't very good with the older kids. This is my brother, okay? Now listen, my brother and I have had it out about some things, but he is my brother. He's my brother, which means I will defend him. I will be loyal to him. He has been hurtful to me, and I have been hurtful to him. He has offended me, and I have offended him. He has not shown up to my birthdays, and I have not shown up to his. Of course, we live two and a half hours away, but that's not the point. I love my brother, even though we have issues. But we've already committed, I am not going anywhere. I will see you next Christmas as long as you and I are still breathing. Period. And we'll eat cake, we'll laugh, we'll play charades, a little chess, we'll all lose again. Those kinds of things. He's my brother. The, the church, I know it's not by the natural blood, but it is by Christ's blood. We've got to get this. I can say a whole lot about honor, but the basis is this. Do you have love in your heart for the person sitting next to you? You don't have to be their best friend. You don't have to have them come live with you. That's not what I'm saying. You can love people to the measure they are in your lives, but love them and love them with that affection. You know what affection is, right? It's, it's when you have those kind of, it's like those warm fuzzies, right? It's kind of like boy meets girl. It's like, oh, I'm kind of liking her. She's kind of liking me. You kind of feel something different. Like, I can't describe it, bro. Just something about her, you know? Right? That was me. And, you know, it's like, okay, what is that affection? You see, affection means you can't be mechanical. You can't be just religious about it. That's, see, the affection piece is, oh, I have a heart. <laughs> right? I actually, man, okay. Or I can look at Christy and say, Christy, you're a woman of God. You are faithful. You've been faithful for over a decade. And I can mean it. And she knows I mean it. Because I've been with her for over a decade. Right? It's when you look at someone and when you honor them. It's when you speak life over them. But you can't do that. You can't just put a sticky note and say, oh, honor Kevin today. Okay. Hey, Kevin, it's Monday. It's your time, pal. Man, you're doing a great job around here, Kevin. Tomorrow we're going to talk about, you know, someone else. But today's your day, so congratulations. I mean, what is that? Don't do that. Right? I'm, all kidding aside, if we, the church, actually acted like a people that were like a family, like with my brother, 
It's like, you come against him, you come against all of us? Like, that's different, right? It's, it's different. It's like, it's like, no, like, I am with Christ, and I am part of this flock and this body, and there are many members, and there's many different gifts in this room. I'm okay with that. I don't want you to be me, and I don't want to be you, and we need to settle that. I want you to be you and let me support you and let me call the gold in you even though you can't see it because as humans, we tend to focus in on the things that are broken. I look at my house, it's a great house. There's about 27 things broken in my house right now. Little light bulb, leaky faucet, hole in the wall. And the problem is I walk around, I see the things that need to be fixed. Instead of, wait, we have a refrigerator that's working. Air conditioning, oh, this is great. The fireplace and blow up around. this is fantastic. The floor, I have a bed. Wow, there's actually a thousand things that are working. Right? As people, this is how you develop a culture of honor. I know you have problems. So do I. I know you have imperfections. So do I. Don't worry, the world will call this out for you. You don't have to go searching for it. The church needs to say, hey, I want to honor you. This is who you are. Because you know what I've noticed? When you call someone up, when you honor them, something rises in them. And all of a sudden, the kind of Eeyore mentality they were in, or however they're discouraged, or whatever, it's like something lifts, right? It's, it's when revival breaks out. It's when someone kneels and prays after being honored, and all of a sudden, two and a half hours later, we're still going, people being ministered to, and the worship's beautiful, and it's like, what just happened? Because God shows up when we honor. Here's what I'm gonna do to end our time here. I'm gonna invite the band on up. I could share more, but that's my problem for having too many notes. Um, so I'm gonna invite the band up, and as I do, um, I just wanna read this passage briefly here. John 5 22 through 24. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I just want you to see the connection between honoring the Son, honoring Christ, and salvation. There is something that we need to connect on. Honor's not just like this side thing. It's actually part of the fabric of how we're meant to live. And when there's proper honor and thanks given to God, when there's proper honor and thanks given to one another, that is the kingdom of God. That is... Right? We like to say, people say, what, what is the kingdom of God? The best definition I have is the kingdom of God is wherever the king is. And wherever the kingdom values are being expressed. Right? Wherever the fruit of the spirit is evident, where people are loving brotherly affection, where, that, where that's happening, that's the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God can be at your dinner table, it can be at a big worship conference, or a big deal in Rome, or it can be here on a Sunday morning, or in your life group. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is, and the king shows up when the king is being glorified and honored Right? That's when he shows up. And so, in thinking about Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday, I want to read for us the original Thanksgiving proclamation. Because in many ways, I want to remind us of the beginnings of our nation. It wasn't all beautiful. There's mistakes. We could go down the list. History teaches us that. All the things that people did wrong our ancestors did wrong. If they've been here for a long time, or if you got any Mayflower folks, hey, there's a lot of wrong done. But today, I actually want to look at the right. I want to look at the foundation of what people, when they came to this land, and even our first president, the intentions, and even what he got in his heart for how a nation could be sustained and grow, what mattered. So I want to read this to you this morning. This was penned by George Washington in 1789. And it was this day of Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving proclamation that was uh, meant for a day to be celebrated in America 
on November 26th, 1789. Where it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted to the people of these states, to the service of the great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, and that will be. That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to the becoming a nation. For the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty, which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and differing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us. And also that we may then unite and most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shewn kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. I read that this morning because I want to remind us that even in our founding as a nation, becoming a nation after the war, that our very first president chose to declare something for our nation. Words have power. And when you have position and authority given by God, those words have power. Just like when I share something here from the pulpit, whatever I share and say, in many ways, you receive it as this is where the church is going. This is who Antioch is. This is what we represent. Not that I'm the only voice here, but God has put me in this place to speak with authority and with integrity and trust. I don't take that lightly. And so for us, not just as a nation, with all of our troubles, I want us to go into Thanksgiving saying, you know what? I may be the one person, you may be the one person at Thanksgiving bringing life and honor and encouragement. You may be the one person, and it may be super awkward in your family, calling out the gold in your sister 
or your niece or your nephew or your mom and dad. You may have never had that conversation, but I'm telling you this much, to this date, whenever I honor someone, especially the ones that have never experienced that, it messes them up. It just does. Try it. I dare you to try it, especially on the hardest. Honor is what God wants for us, and it's what softens up that hard outer exterior. Because when you call out the gold in someone, what it really is is you are simply a messenger speaking what God is already saying about them. And when someone hears the words of life, you just, they can get to you. I would love nothing more than hear stories after this Thanksgiving. Hey, you know, we had great turkey and the dressing was good or whatever you eat ham or whatever the thing is. But you know what, man? I had this 15 minute moment with my dad. I had this conversation with my sister. I was able to sit down and look at my little nephew and tell him something he's never heard before. Because we're not just giving lip service, we're speaking from the heart of God. You can only do that though if your heart is tender towards him. If you're giving honor and thanks to him, you can then give honor to one another. Let's stand this morning as we close. And really just this morning, I just want us to give thanks. Not just what George Washington wrote, but throughout the scriptures, we are called to be a people that give thanks and praise and honor to our God. So just this morning, as we're going to worship, I just want you to take a moment and just, you can just start giving him thanks. You can just start saying it out loud. You can whisper it, whatever you want to do. But I just want us to give thanks and honor to God. You can thank him for who he is in his nature. You can thank him for what he's done in your life. You can thank him for what he's going to do, but we've got to posture ourselves to be people that will use our words to give honor and praise. It's not just our thoughts. It is our words that matter. When we speak it out, we are declaring something into the realms, into the atmospheres. We are speaking life over one another, and we're speaking it unto God. So let's do that this morning as we enter the time of worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.